It's good to be with you, church. My name is Matt Blackwell. I serve as the South Campus Pastor and one of the elders here at the Austin Stone. I want to welcome in our campuses in South Austin, West Austin, and at St. John today who are joining us. Uh, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 2. We are in a series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, and what we're going to see today is this. It's going to be a very simple yet absolutely foundational truth that if we miss this, we miss the essence of the gospel. And here's what it is, that you and I, we were dead in our sins, but that God has made us alive in Christ. And that's good news for us today. We want to celebrate that today. Uh, so as you're turning to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, hey, I got some good news and some bad news? And some of you are, are good news people first, and some of you are bad news people first, depending on your take. And so what we have here is the ultimate good news, bad news. Uh, and we're going to get some really bad news from Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. It's going to be really dark. And that's purposeful. Because if we don't recognize the, the darkness of the bad news, we'll never fully embrace the goodness of the good news. If we don't see with our eyes how bad things were for us, we'll never really understand and, and grasp the good news of what God has done for us. If we don't recognize that the bad news applies to us, then we'll never apply fully the reality of the good news and what God has done for us. And so we want to see what God has done. So Ephesians chapter 2 is where we will start. Let me ver read verses 1 through 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So verse 1, Paul comes right out of the box and says, here's the deal, verse one, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and in your sins. And i got to be honest, I've read this verse, and I, I love the book of Ephesians, and for a long time, it, here's what happened as I would get to uh, chapter 2, and I would read verse 1, and I would read, you are dead in your transgressions, and I, I wouldn't understand it. And so here's what I would do, I'd just skip on to the good stuff. I, until I really, I, I started thinking through, what does it mean that I was dead? Like, I don't understand this. So is the Bible just, just being uh, hyperbolic? Is it just, just kind of saying, well, you weren't really dead? But we're just using this word because we couldn't think of a better word. Or is there something to the reality when Paul says you're dead that he means you're dead? So I, uh, what I did is I went to the Greek and said, okay, I'm going to figure out what does it mean to be dead? It can't possibly mean dead because here I am, I'm breathing and I'm reading and I'm walking around and I can't possibly be dead. So I went to the Greek and here's what I found is that literally the original language says here's what the word dead means, that you're lifeless, breathless, a corpse. I said, okay, well, that wasn't that helpful for me. So what does it mean then that I'm dead in my transgressions and sins? And so here's what happened is I started this journey to try to figure out what it meant that I was dead. And my hope for us is that we would wrestle with this bad news in order to see uh, the, the good news in light of the bad news. And in my study, it brought me back from Ephesians 2 all the way to Genesis 2. For the first time that the Bible talks about death is all the way back, if you rewind, all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. And here's what's going on in Genesis 2. God has created 
the garden. He's created all the things that uh, are in creation. He's created Adam. And here's what he does is he puts Adam in the garden and he says, Adam, I want you to do something. I want you to look out on all the things I've created. All the rolling hills and, and the streams and the rivers and the lakes and all the trees on every hill. You can eat fruit from every tree except this one tree. Every other tree except this one tree, the, knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of the fruit of that tree or you will surely die. Genesis 2.17, the first time we ever see the word die in scripture is Genesis 2.17. And I wonder if in, in, when Adam's hearing that, he has no concept of death. He's never seen it, never heard of it. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know what death is. And so God creates Eve and, and they get to experience life together. And there's this funny little uh, verse, Genesis 2.25. Man and wife, they're enjoying the presence of God. They're enjoying the creation of God. And it says this, it says, they were naked and there was no shame. They were naked and they were unashamed. And we read that and maybe, maybe we giggle a little bit because it's, oh, it's a naked in the Bible, right? And, and so we think about what does it mean that they were naked and no shame and why would that be put in there? And we think about it and it's almost so far beyond our ability to comprehend what that would be like to have complete vulnerability and yet complete acceptance. Because here's Adam and here's Eve and they're in the presence of God and they're in the creation of God and they're enjoying the fruit of what God has created and there is nakedness and no shame, no covering, no masks, nothing in between them. And imagine the, the beauty of what that relationship must have been like. That there's no anger between them, no brokenness, no body image issues, there's naked and no shame. There's no lust for another person because there aren't any others. He is fully satisfied and she is fully satisfied in the one that God created for them. And there's no shame in that. And they're enjoying all that God had for them, the richness of life. But it doesn't last very long because the very beginning of Genesis chapter 3, that's Genesis 2.25, the very next verse starts Genesis chapter 3. And here's what happens in Genesis 3 is that death enters the scene. And remember the serpent, the serpent's crafty and he whispers into the ear of Eve. And what does he do is he places doubt in her mind. He said, did God really tell you that? I mean, he's holding out on you. And what the serpent does is he says the exact opposite thing that God had said. See, the serpent comes and says, I know, I know that God said if you eat of that tree you will surely die. Let me tell you something. If you eat of this tree, you will surely not die. He says the exact opposite thing that God had said. And so Eve believes the serpent over God. She takes the fruit and she eats it. And she gives some to Adam who's standing there. And he eats it. And death enters the scene. And so sin happens and with sin comes death. And so the first time we read of death is in Genesis chapter 3. But it's not the last time we hear of it. James 1.15 says it like this. It says that our desires, when they conceive, they give birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it brings forth death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 tells us this, that the wages of our sin is death. And so we see sin enter the scene and with sin comes death. And so what happens here is what we're going to see is that there's three things that death begins to take hold of, take root of humanity. Relationally, spiritually, and physically, death begins to reign. So relationally, 
We see death beginning to separate Adam and Eve. 2.25, they were naked and no shame. They eat of the fruit. The very first thing Adam and Eve do after they sin is they separate from one another and they begin to try to cover themselves with fig leaves. It says they make loincloths for themselves in order to cover their shame. So shame enters the scene and they break from one another and now there is a brokenness that death is beginning to break apart their relationship with one another. Relationally, death is having its way in a, in a separation. And then we feel the weight and the pain and the, the sting of that. I mean, if you look uh, at, a, at a global level, we feel the weight and sting of relationships breaking apart in wars and in all sorts of, of international discord. But, but it's easy to, to see that. I want you to see it, that death is actually not only at work globally relationally, but it's, it's at work personally in your heart that death is at work in separating you from one another. I mean, I think you feel that. We feel the weight of that. If we're honest with ourselves, even this week we will feel the weight and the sting of death at work because selfishness will rise to the surface and most of our energy will be spent either on self-protection or self-promotion rather than giving life to other people. We'll want other people to see us in certain ways. We'll want other people to accept our ideas. We'll want other uh, people to, to, to show us how great we are. And maybe even this week, husbands will, walk, will come home from a crazy day at work, from a, a crazy time. Maybe you got chewed out at home and you'll come home. And instead of loving your wife as Christ loved the church, you will blame her for the things that happened in your day. And you'll be angry and bitter. And the kids will come in and you'll be angry and bitter, and all of a sudden you'll see death at work in, in, in breaking apart the relationships that God had meant for good. So we see death at work in our relationships. But not only that, I think even more profoundly we see it, relationally death is at work in us, but also spiritually death is at work in us. That we're separated from God. So the first thing that Adam and Eve do is they, they hide from one another and they begin to cover their shame. But the second thing that they do, the second thing Adam and Eve do is they run and they hide from God. It says they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. Now God walks in the garden of the cool of the day and they run and they hide in the bushes. They separate themselves from God. And I love that imagery that God walks in the garden in the cool of the day. He knew their sin had happened. He knew the ramifications that when sin entered, death came with it. He knew that, that, that Jesus was going to die on the cross, that his son was going to the cross because death had come. But he doesn't rage into the garden with lightning bolts in his hand looking for Adam and Eve ready to, to strike him. It says he walks in the garden in the cool of the day and he begins to talk with them and ask them questions. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord their God. And so we see this spiritual break the separation between humanity and God as they hide themselves from him. And the reality is this, is that Romans 8, verse 6, here's, here's the place that we find ourselves because of this, this spiritual brokenness, this spiritual death. Romans 8, 6 says it like this. It says, The mind of sinful man is death, and the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. See, the mind of sinful man is death. There is brokenness between humanity and God. And because of that brokenness, we are hostile to God. 
Because of that brokenness, brokenness, we don't submit to God's law. Because of that brokenness, according to Romans 8, verse 6, we cannot please God. And so we feel that. I mean, I know that we feel that because I've felt it and I know that you have felt it too. There's this, there's this distance between you and God. And so some of you are, are you're trying to, you're trying to get back to God. And so you're, you're trying to pray and you're trying to, to be faithful to show up to church and you're trying to be a nicer person and all those things are great and well, but you still feel this distance. Man, you feel like when you pray, your prayers hit the ceiling and bounce back down and you're like, is anybody even listening? Is this thing even real? You feel this chasm and this gap and there's nothing that you can do to find your way back to God. But there's this other group of us in here that, that we think, man, we don't have nothing to do with God. We don't care about God's affection. We, we want to avoid God's attention. So we will run as fast as we can away from God and God's law. We're not going to submit to him. We'll be our own God. And so we flee from him. But either way, whether we are trying to gain God's affection or flee from his attention, we are broken people. And when we're cut off from the giver of life, the author of life, the creator of life, the only reality for us then is spiritual death. But that's not the only thing. We see relational brokenness. We see spiritual brokenness. But finally, what does it mean to be dead in your transgressions and sins? It means that physically death will be our reality. That there will be a point where our bodies can no longer sustain life and our hearts will stop beating and our lungs will stop breathing and we will die. Because here's what happens is God said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And so God isn't a parent who says, hey, you know, if you do that, you're going to get in trouble. And the kids go do it and he doesn't do anything about it. Right? When, when the kids do what he told them they shouldn't do, he actually follows through and he's faithful to his word. He said, if you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And they eat of that tree and so their reality becomes death. Verse 19 of chapter 3 of Genesis uh, God says it like this. He says, You will return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so our physical bodies are limited, and one day we will stop breathing. You know, last, um, last Saturday, just a couple days ago, I um, had the, the privilege of doing my grandfather's funeral. He was 90 years old. His name was Grandpa Tex. He lived in New York for 57 years. So you can imagine he had to be pretty tough with a name like Tex living in New York. And so he was the life of the party. Uh, even at 90 years old, uh, I was doing the, the funeral service. And the guy who was leading the music, he leaned over to me uh, right at the beginning of the service. And he said, hey, you know, I didn't know Tex well. But uh, the one thing I remember, and I'll always remember about him, is that a couple months ago we were having a, a concert at the church up in Dallas. Uh, and they were, people were having fun and dancing and that sort of thing. And he said a conga line broke out in the church lobby. And he looks out into the lobby and guess who's leading the conga line from his wheelchair, right? It's Grandpa Tex, 90 years old. Let's do this. Let's go. That, that's the kind of guy he was. If you ever met Tex, you had a friend for life. And so maybe three or four days before he passed, I got to go to Dallas and I got to sit um, in the hospital room. I pulled up a chair I sat with him and we sang some of his favorite old hymns, uh, Sweet By and By and Old Rugged Cross and Amazing Grace. And whenever he could sing, he would sing with me. We got to pray together. It was a really, really sweet time. I got to kiss him on his, 
unshaven face and I got to look at him and his eyes were closed, but I knew he was listening. I said, Grandpa, I love you. I want you to do something for me. I want you to tell Jesus I said hi. And he smiled a toothless grin because I knew he had heard me. And it was a really sweet, sweet time that, that I got to spend with him. But man, I tell you, there's nothing more sobering than holding the hand of a dying man. It absolutely brings to light all of life's little vanities. It absolutely elevates all life's great priorities. And all of a sudden, the things that seemed really important no longer have real value. And you just bring such clarity. But he died because sin entered the scene. And with sin came death. And the wages of sin is death. And here's the dark reality that many of us want to sweep away or avoid is that that day is coming for you too. That there will be a day when your heart stops beating, your lungs stop breathing, that line that beats will go flat and you'll die. Why? Because death entered the scene. And one of the realities is this. If you eat of that tree, you will surely die. And so death is our reality. But the good news is that it's not our end. See, here's what happened. Right before Adam and Eve leave the garden, right before, the very last thing that happens before Adam and Eve are ushered out of the presence of God, they leave the garden, they go out of the presence of God. There they are. They've got their their loincloths of, of leaves. God says, you have to leave my presence because of your disobedience, which has caused death. And here's what happened. It says this in, in Genesis chapter 3 that, that God clothed them with skin and then sent them out. And here's the image in my mind. Here's, here's the picture in my mind. I don't know if this is how it went down. Here's how I see it. I see uh, Adam and Eve and God kind of at the, the gate to, to, to uh, Eden. And they are about to be ushered out. And here comes this little sheep, this little lamb. You know? I don't know if that's how lambs run. In my mind, that's what they do. Uh, and so here comes this little sheep. It's like, oh, cool. Hey, there's Adam. There's Eve. There's God. This is great. The garden is awesome. There's no death. And God takes the sheep and he kills it. And he takes the coat of that sheep and he covers the nakedness and shame of Adam. And he covers the nakedness and shame of Eve. And you say, man, that's kind of rough. That's not really fair. But all of a sudden we begin to see in Genesis chapter 3 the seeds of the gospel that the, the death of an innocent one was actually the covering of humanity. The death of the innocent sheep that did nothing wrong, the innocent animal, was actually the covering of the shame of humanity. And then he sends them out and he says there's going to be a more sufficient covering, a more sufficient, perfect sacrificial lamb that will die the death that you deserve so that you might have life and life to the full and life eternal. That that day is coming, but it's not today. And so we see the seeds of the gospel even there in Genesis 3. But death is our reality, and with death we are broken relationally and spiritually and physically. And John Piper, Pastor John Piper says it like this. He says, the reason we need a Savior isn't because we're in the doghouse with God, but it's because we're in the morgue. I told you the bad news is going to be bad. Like I told you the bad news is going to be dark and grim. But if we don't recognize the, the darkness of the good will never really recognize the brightness of, of the bad, of the, of the good, right? 
that if we don't recognize that the bad was really bad and that that bad was ours, we'll never recognize that the good is really good and that good is ours too. If we don't know that we were dead, we'll never praise God for making us alive. If we kind of think like, we're pretty good people. We're, I mean, we're pretty nice. We go to church, do our thing. God just kind of needs to give me a little nudge to get me into heaven. If that is our understanding of our place, we'll never fully grasp what God had done on the cross. We never really will understand that and be fully thankful for all that he has given us. If we don't know we're dead, we'll never know that we were made alive. If we don't know we're lost, we'll never praise God for coming and finding us. A couple, I mean, I must have been six or seven years old. Uh, I was shopping with my parents, or actually it was my mom, my two older brothers, um, and so there was the four of us, and we were at Target. And if, if you have kids, you know that shopping can be an experience uh, can be a joy uh, sometimes, and other times not so much. And so uh, my mom was cruising, and she was in mission mode, and uh, my two older brothers were cruising with her, and we passed the toy aisle. And so I was six, and uh, I, I kind of had a passion for G.I. Joe. That was my thing. And so I, I remember mom and, and brothers moving down the aisle, and I see at my six-year-old uh, eye level uh, the new G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip, just came out. It's pretty cool. Not only that, next to G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu Grip was the new tank uh, that Cobra had, and next to that was the battle station. So they cruised that way. They're walking down the aisle, and I veer off. And I begin to dream big dreams about what would it be like. And so I take them off the shelf, and I put them on the ground, and I'm looking at them, and I'm running the boxes into each other, and this is awesome. I love this. This is so great. Until I realized that I was all alone. And so I looked up and I'm like, huh, this is weird. So I go out to the aisle and no mom, no brothers. I go this way, no mom, no brothers. And two thoughts simultaneously came into my mind. The first thought was this, this is now my new home. I, I will live here for, <coughs> forever. I mean, there's a nice bedding section over here. We got the, uh, the icy machine. I'll be working that for every meal. It'll be great. And that... that thought was immediately replaced by one of fear and trembling and sadness and loneliness. I was six years old. I didn't know any phone numbers. I didn't know my address. I had no idea how I got to Target. I was just there. <laughs> and there I was sitting in the toy aisle. I didn't even know where the front door was. And I remember just sitting down. I was so hopeless and helpless. I couldn't find my way out. I had to just sit there. And I was crying and my mom eventually came back and found me and rescued me, saved me, brought me home. Maybe even bought me an icy. I don't know. But here's the deal. I remember sitting there and I remember just sitting on the floor and, and all these boxes that I'd just taken down were surrounding me and they had, they had captured my attention. They were going to be my greatest joy. If I could only save up enough money to buy them and take them out of the box, what joy awaited me. But when I realized I was lost, I was hopeless, the, the toys, I had no interest in them. The, the trinkets on the floor had no weight, no, no glory, no interest. All I desired was to be brought home. All I desired was to see the face of my mom to come and to take me home. And y'all, we spend so much of our lives goofing around with trinkets and toys not realizing that we're lost in desperate need of being found. 
not realizing that we are dead, but that God has come to bring us back to life. So my hope for us is that we would recognize that, that we would feel the weight of that, and that the good news actually becomes good news because we recognize the badness of the bad news. Well, let's keep going. Verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's get to that good news. It says this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is doing, the author of Ephesians, is he's giving us this literary device, this contrast. He's showing us verses 1 through 3 in the darkness of our depravity and what happened there and the act, what our actions deserved. But then he's contrasting that verses 4 through 7 with the actions of God and what those actions have accomplished for us. So it goes like this. You were dead in your sins, but God, God made you alive. To you, you follow the course of this world and the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. But God, see God, he saved you. You, you once lived in the passions of your flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. But God, God raised you and he's going to seat, seat you with him. You were by nature children of wrath, but God, what he's going to do is he's going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ. And so church, I want you so badly to recognize this, to feel this, that, that it would drive into your heart so that you don't just say, oh, I can, I can define depravity. I can give you the understanding or a theological definition, which is great. But I want that theological definition to sink into our hearts so that we recognize that when the scriptures say you were dead, there was nothing that you could do to earn God's affection or attention. But God... When you were dead in your transgressions and sins reached in and resuscitated you and brought you back to life. See, you didn't need, your greatest need was to be saved. You might sit here today and you say, you know what, my, my greatest need, if I could have anything I want, I just, you know what I need? I need an encourager to kind of come alongside me, put their arm around me and say, you're doing great, you can do it. If that's your greatest need, what you need is a friend. Or maybe your greatest need, your greatest desire is that you just need somebody to come in and, and get you moving. You just need motivation. You just need somebody to say, hey, you need to get out there and get going and show you the way to do it. If that's your greatest need, what you need is a coach. Or maybe, maybe you just are exhausted and you're tired and you're weary and you say, my greatest need is a vacation or a nap. If you're a parent of young kids, 30 minutes is all I need. Man, but if that's your greatest need, these things are not our greatest needs. They may be real needs, but our greatest need is that if you are dead, you don't need a nap or a vacation or an encouragement. What you need is life. What you need is a savior to come and to rescue you from death. And that's what Jesus came to do, and that's what Jesus came to be. And so I want us to recognize that, to feel the weight of that, to feel the glory of that, so that we are thankful for it. Because we're not here playing games with church. I mean, we're not here because we had nothing better to do on a Sunday. We live in a great city, and it's a beautiful day. We're not here because we didn't know what else to do, because this is some sort of weird hobby. 
No, we are here because we have come, because we recognize that we were dead in our transgressions and on our sins. And so when we sing, we want to sing thankfulness to God for the fact that he has brought us to life. He's breathed life into our lifeless lungs. We didn't need medicine. We needed a miracle. And Jesus became that miracle for us. And not only that, not only did Jesus die the death that we deserve so that we might have life and life to the full, but the scripture says that he's seated us with him. It's because of the great love with which he loves us. He's saved us and made us alive and he's seated us with him. But not only that, if that was it, that would be enough to praise him for eternity. But verse 7 says he's done this so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. See, he has woken us to life and he's seated us with him so that age after age after age after age, that's how long it will take for him to show how much kindness and grace we have received from him in Christ. And that's why we've been saved. And so today, man, if you are coming in here and you walk in and you say, man, I feel the weight and the sting of death. So when you are describing what it feels like to be dead relationally, I'm broken. My relationships are messed up and jacked up and I'm, I'm all sorts of broken relationally. If that's you and, and you feel separated from God and you say, yes, that's, that's you. And you have this fear of death to say, man, I don't know what happens after I die. If you're in that place and you say, death is my reality... I want you to hear something. I want you to hear the words of Jesus to you. This comes from John chapter 5. Here's what Jesus says. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So y'all, listen, if that's you, if you've come in and death is your reality, you can walk out and death will not be your destiny. If you receive the grace and kindness of God, the scripture tells us, tells us that if we believe, Jesus said, if we believe in the one who sent him, we will have eternal life. John chapter 5, John chapter 10, verse 10, he says, that I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. So my hope for you is that this morning there'll be folks down here that would love to talk with you and pray with you and walk you through that process. You say, man, I, I feel the weight of, and the sting of death. I don't know what to do. What you do is you believe and you receive life. But for the rest of us who have received life, who come out of that and say, yes, we want to uh, respond to this. We want to respond to the fact that we've received life, that we were dead and now God has made us alive. What happens is in when God makes us alive, all of the, the curse of death begin to change. So relationally, where there is brokenness and strife and shame, life comes in. And, and we're going to read in Ephesians as we keep going through this series that the dividing wall of hostility is broken. So two radically different groups become one called the church. We're going to continue to read in Ephesians when we get to chapter 5. And it's going to talk about two becoming one flesh. And we're going to see that the gospel gives life to marriage. But not only that, 
that, that life, when we feel broken from God, when we feel spiritually separated, when the gospel comes to bear, when we believe in Christ, it brings us back into reconciliation and relationship with God. And the good news is this, is that physically when we believe, according to Jesus here in John chapter 5, we have eternal life. And so death is no longer our destiny. And so I want to urge you to, uh, you know, sometimes when we hear a sermon, we, we go out, we say, okay, I'm going to try to figure out how to apply that this week. I don't exactly know. We have the opportunity right now to apply this today. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Uh, if, if someone saved your life, like you were dead and somebody saved you, rescued you. A couple of years ago when my oldest was about six months old, so this is about eight years ago, I had a, a big accident. We were in Mexico and I'd fallen from a roof about 12 feet and hit my head on the concrete. Um, and I was dying. They were doing you know, CPR. It wasn't working. He started praying and pounding on my chest and my heart kicked in and started going again. Like when I wake up and I come to and I'm like, hey, bro, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Let's go, you know, grab some coffee. Do I give him a gift card? Do I, do I write him a note? Like what words do you say to say, hey, thanks for saving my life? Well, church, today we have the opportunity. We don't have all the words to say to God that we could possibly think of. We'll have ages and ages and ages to say thank you, but we can start today. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing a couple songs. And here's my hope is that when we sing these songs, we sing them as a response to say, God, thank you. Thank you. We don't have all the words to say, but we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Our, our, we were broken and apart from you. Our destiny was eternal separation from you, but God, by your grace, you have saved us. And so we want to say thank you, and we want to say it loudly, and we want to proclaim it boldly. And so today, the way that we want to respond to the word, to the scripture, is we want to proclaim a word of thanks through the songs that we sing. So I'm going to pray and we're going to continue in worship. And let's sing loud. Let's sing responsively because God has made us alive. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace and your kindness to us that while we were in our trespasses and sins, you have made us alive. And there's nothing that we could do but God, your loving kindness came and rescued us and saved us. And because of that, Lord, we want to say thank you. We want to sing songs of thanks. We want to live a life that, that says thank you. We want to pro proclaim boldly and live faithfully. And so God, we, we, we tell you thank you because we don't know what else to say. And Lord, we know that you're a loving father who leads us and guides us and calls us home. And so Lord... As your children, as your sons and your daughters, we stop for a moment to simply say thank you, God. Thank you for your work in our lives, for your glory and for our good. In Christ's name we pray.